one. Okay. All right, Brad. So I ask this to everyone to start off the interview. You can take it in whatever direction you'd like. Uh, what were you like growing up? What was I like growing up? Hobbies, personality, oh, well, whatever. You know, I, I, I can tell you this. Here's the deal, Jared. The main thing that I was like was, you know, I did make good grades. So that was good. But I always got, you know, in the little citizenship part where they, where they sort of give you checks and minuses, I always got checks on talks too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I always got checks on... Uh, respects others because I was just such a mouth, I think it's such a, I, I wouldn't say a troublemaker cause I was, I was a good student, but I definitely did a lot of things I probably shouldn't do for laughs. I, you know, the original Johnny Knoxville do anything for money type guy. That you was know, you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In high school, I, you know, we were in Plano high school and it was a new little section that we were in, in this math class. And there were so many crickets that were just running through the new part of the school. And one time during math class, they, uh, they dared me to eat a cricket. So I ended up eating quite a few live crickets and, and gathering. I think I got about 10 bucks. And of course, in 1971, it was nice. That was 10 bucks. Yeah. Inflation. So yeah, I, I did a lot of things like that early on. So what, what came <clears> first, <throat> a love of sports or a love of the arts? Um, you know, I think about the same time, because when I was a little boy, uh, my mother was a singer and a piano player. My dad was an athlete, but he had also had a little bit of experience in high school. Um, they actually went to high school with Buddy Holly at Lubbock High School. They were seniors when he was uh, a sophomore. But my dad was my dad was into it, too, so my dad would like to perform. It, he was a basketball player at Tech. But um, I, I think it happened, it all sort of happened at the same time, because when we first came back from Japan, uh, I was singing in Disneyland. I was singing Davy Crockett in Disneyland. I had a little my little cowboy suit on. You but were my, young then. Though. Yeah, that I was six. 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 So, okay. but my dad, uh, my dad, of course, you know, always had me in all the sports, and he taught me golf and football and baseball and basketball when I was a kid. So, I was always going to be a professional football player, of course. But at the same time, I I loved choir and uh, I loved drama, and so. I wouldn't say either one. I'd say about the same time. I think just something about that performing. Although when I did sports, it, I didn't think of it for the for the crowd. I mean, and who did? I mean, when we played sports, we didn't play it for them. We played it for ourselves because we loved the game. So that's that's the way mine was. Do you have any memories of Japan? Not really. You're too young. Yeah, I got a couple of vague memories, but my mom said what are the Funniest ones was, you know, we lived in a house, and, and, and I mean, it was a nice little house for, for Army people, but... Your dad you know, was an Army yeah, ranger, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. you were there. And so, um, my mom and I were always home, and I was supposed to be in there for my nap, and evidently I took a little a little toy, some kind of little rattler or something, and dug a hole, because we had mud walls. Actually dug a hole through the, through the wall next to my crib or next to my bed, and my mom comes in there thinking I'm taking a nap, and I had escaped. And, you know, within about 30, she was freaking out, and she had a little tea party or something going on in there. And a couple of little geisha girls uh, presented me at the front door. And what had happened was I had gone out. We lived very near rice paddies. And rice paddies in Japan in those days were fertilized with human waste. And um, 
So I had been playing in the rice paddies and was oh. quite the chocolate-covered little fellow. That, and there was being brought home by these two little geisha girls. And here's you. They thought it was so hilarious and presented me to my mom. That's so, like I, Shawshank. I mean, like, yeah. you know, you go through the, the sewage and yes. to get out and you, you created yeah. your own. That's crazy. Yes. Uh, so I started young being a little crazy. Okay. So <laughs> you one of the things I think is really neat and, and just – talking to you briefly before we started this and, and reading up, you've accomplished a ton in your, your career, uh, in the arts, but your time as a high school football player and winning a state championship at Plano is still, it's special. And I think that's, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it's not like that in 49 other States, but there's a, a degree of pride in this state Certainly. when it comes to high school football. And you were part of a state championship team at Plano uh, now got hurt uh, before and 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 weren't able to participate in in that championship game. But uh, what what was that experience like? What are some of the memories that you still carry with you today? I think the biggest memory is that you know in those days when you when you got knee surgery, there was a giant plaster cast that went from your thigh up you know your crotch all the way to your ankle. So that's you know I had one of those. So I'm on crutches on the sideline during the game with one of those on. But when we won that game, um, Marty Akins was the quarterback for Gregory Portland, who went on to be at UT. And mm-hmm. anyway, he uh, he was the quarterback, and and we kicked a field goal to win that game. And I'll remember, even with that cast on and crutches, I think that's the highest I ever jumped. I mean, I jumped so high, and you know, even not playing just to be a part of it was really special. I mean, I think I felt just as good about it as everybody else on the team, and we played. All the state games in those days were played at Daryl K. Royal Stadium in Austin. So that's where we played. And uh, it's still something that it doesn't go away. It's one of the highlights of my life as far as the ultimate adrenaline, the ultimate um, being proud. Because we were told by John Clark and Tommy Kimbrough, who, of course, two stadiums named after them yeah. in Plano, uh, those, we were told by them, if you guys will just do this spring training, if you guys will really work hard in spring training, and just do what we tell you to do. Maybe we'll get lucky, and maybe we'll win a few championship games. Maybe we can go to state, and it happened. And and it was coaching because I came from a tremendous amount of athletes in Lubbock. I mean, actually, the athletes in Lubbock that I grew up with, it, it being a much larger town than Plano at the time, uh, were a better group of athletes, really, than the ones that that I encountered in Plano. But the coaches were so great. And the reason we won and the reason Plano won for so many years was because of the coaching. It wasn't because of the talent pool. It's, it's funny hearing you say that knowing your, your role in, in Friday Night Lights and, and the interactions you would have uh, with the coaches, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, what, do you have anything from that team? Like, uh, Do you have your jersey? Do you have anything to commemorate that? Or? From, the, from the Plano Wildcats? Um, I have my letter jacket. Okay. And in those days, you didn't get a ring. Uh, you, you know, we, we got a patch. Yeah, you know, the there's jacket. Just, there's yeah. just a patch on the jacket. Of course, I wasn't very good, and I didn't get to play much. So I don't have all those millions of, you know, all state. All just, I just have the one state championship patch. And I, and I still have that uh, letter jacket, although I can't ever believe I, I was that small. <laughs> I mean, I, I weighed 180 pounds, and I was six feet tall, but... I think those wool jackets uh, shrink, they shrink in your yeah. closet. I mean, because I could barely get it around my body now. What was your scouting report as a football player before you got hurt? Before 
if you had to give yourself a scouting report? Um, slow, but loves to hit. But pretty slow. I mean, I ran a 4.7 one time, but I was like a 4.8, 4.9 guy. And trying to play corner at that speed was not really good, so they moved me to a defensive end. And then I was fast, so and I could kind of get under people. But I wasn't very big. I mean, a 180-pound defensive end in Texas high school football now would be not it wouldn't exist probably i mean not many of them but so so yeah i uh i just simply love to hit and i did not like to get hit so i didn't like to play offense but i really i really enjoyed knocking the heck out of people <laughs> so it's funny football's played such a big part in your life and and i read this and, and you shared this uh, a second ago but your wife of more than 40 years i believe yes you guys without realizing it, crossed paths on a football field in eighth grade. Would you mind sharing that story? Well, yeah. It, 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 okay. So I actually went to the school that had really tremendous athletes in Lubbock, and we won the, the basketball, and we won baseball, and we won football city championships all the time, basically all three years of junior high, seventh through ninth grade. Well, there was a team uh, – in the town that they just really couldn't field enough boys. And it was pretty much a poverty school. And, uh, and so they, you know, the other kids in junior high teams were not allowed to use their first team, their first string players against this team. So when you played this team, you had to use your second string guys, or at least you couldn't play your, your top 11 or 15 players on your team. So, so the coach made a couple of changes, and although I got to play defense uh, and start, I, I was not in the top 15 players on my team. So I actually got to play against this, this small school who had to play the second team. And it was on a Saturday morning. It was a makeup game, and it was muddy in Lubbock. We played at Lubbock Monterey, and it was a muddy, nasty field, and it was just a miserable day, and we were all out there, and we didn't really want to play these guys. I mean, I was second team, and... And there's our 15 buddies sitting up there in the stands, you know, cheering us on that are the first teamers and all that. And uh, so we played the game, and we lost to them two to nothing. I think it's the only game we lost in any sport, really, when I was in, in junior high, in ninth grade especially. We went on to win the city championship. It's the only game we lost. And years later when my wife and I were talking about, you know, she was a cheerleader and I was a – then we realized that we were both at that same game that day and she remembered it and she gives me a hard time about the day Carol Thompson beat um beat Atkins two to nothing and uh it was miserable it, you know it was a, it was a safety and the rest of it was in the middle of the field with a bunch of little boys slopping in the mud but I remember they had this big cool cowbell that was mounted on a trailer and I found out also that her dad had made that and I remembered it I remembered wow what are they doing with that cool thing and, and my wife's dad had made that cowbell. So there was a couple of cool things about that story. And then we met later in college. But we grew up in Lubbock, and, and really Lubbock is not that big, 150,000 people, 100,000 people in those days. And um, you kind of knew everybody. But, 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 I, but I did not, not know her. I knew some other people from Lubbock High because that's where my parents went to high school. In fact, my grandparents, my parents, my wife, lots of people went to Lubbock High School in my life. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, I asked you what came first, love of acting, love of, of sports. You said around the same time. When did the arts become, when did it go from, hey, this is fun, to, hey, this is kind of what I want to do? Um, you know, 
it was automatic. And this is, this is one of my favorite stories. What happened, Jared, is that my, my coach, um, when I had to quit my senior year because of my knee, uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I mean, I probably could have brought it back, but you know, I just, it wasn't really in my heart. I mean, I'd always thought, yeah, I'll be a, I'll be a football player and get a scholarship and all that. But, but I really realized that I wasn't, you know, fast enough or big. I just wasn't going to be that guy. And, uh, so I went in to, to quit with coach Clark and I went in his office, man, I was crying senior, senior in high school, you know, I had to quit. And, uh, I went in and I said, coach, I just can't bring this knee back. I'm not going to be able to play. And I was crying. He said, Brad, that's okay. He said, that's, he goes, you, you, you're, you, you love a uh, choir and drama. And I've seen you doing the plays and all that stuff, you know, here in school. And he said, you know, you, you're not going to play football in college anyway. I mean, we, we might could get you a small school something or, but you're not, you know, it's not, it's not your deal anyway. So why don't you just go be an actor? And what a great coach to, to, you know, because this boy was, he, he was, he was devastating to me. I said, coach Clark, I've never quit anything in my life. He said, right, it's okay. And here's the best thing that happened Jared. He says, that locker in, in there and that varsity room that you earned that has your name on it in there, if you ever want to come back, it'll be waiting for you. That's pretty cool. That's a great coach yeah, and a great guy. So at that point, my senior year, I started really thinking seriously about, and my, my buddies and people in my life had told me I'd always said I wanted to be an actor. Even when I was a little boy growing up, I'd always said that. So my senior year is when I really started thinking about it. And then when I went to Tech, I majored in theater, and I got in the first play in the fall and never looked back. And that's just what I thought I would always do from the time I went to college. I was one of the lucky ones that knew what I wanted to do. So, You've been in <clears throat> films. You've been you know, in TV shows. You've, you've made cameos. You've had recurring roles. You've, uh, you know, and you've done theater. And, oh, we're going to get into the theater in a little bit. You've, you've done the arts at so many levels at that point like I, you know for me I, I knew I wanted to do once I realized I wasn't playing a professional athlete I knew I wanted to do sports journalism but I didn't know right away that I wanted to do sports play-by-play -play. you know there's so many options out there and I, I sure as heck tried all of them did you know was there something initially you're like I want to I want to do this specifically or were you just so open to doing anything and everything it was pretty open um I saw doing movies and TV, but I realized that stage was the first step. And, you know, to us, we it's not like nowadays where these kids, they just skip school and go directly into it. Um, it was more about, about going to school and really becoming a real actor on stage. And then the film and TV came along later. Um, but, you know, we, we dabbled in it in college, little small student things but in those days we didn't have the you know the ability that they have now we had those giant big huge ugly bulky video cameras and you know no lighting and it, so we didn't get to do a lot of film or tv prep in college it was it was it was stage work and i i did lots of plays and my first professional acting job was at a dinner theater and i can remember it was a two-person show called i do i do where it takes some, a, a couple from the time they're 18 until they're old, and you watch them. You watch them get older and older, and there's costume changes, and there's 16 musical numbers and a bunch of dances. And I remember the girl and I it was our first show, and I was 20, 
one, I think, and she was 19 or something like that. And um, we are getting $200 a week. We thought that was great, yeah, you man. Made it, you made it. Yeah, we made it. We're getting paid to act 200 bucks a week. This is awesome. So that was the beginning, sort of. Was that – I know this is, is a generic question, but sometimes there's a good story attached to this, so I'll ask it anyway. I don't know if it's that or – was there a moment where you're like, this is the break I need to really kind of break through the wall and, and just get some momentum? Um, I, I guess it probably was because what happened is that I came to Dallas working and running a nightclub down on Greenville Avenue called Nick's Uptown. And I had worked for these guys in Lubbock, you know, part-time while I was going to school and doing plays and stuff like that. And I had managed and bartended and all that kind of stuff with their, with their club in Lubbock, which was called Fat Dogs. It was, it was an iconic place that was there forever. But they opened a place in Dallas called Nick's Uptown, which immediately became one of the, one of the hot spots. And we did live music seven nights a week. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and had everybody play there. I mean, I, everybody from B.B. King to Ray Charles to, I mean, Willie Nelson, you know. So we had all of these great acts. And 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 I told them, look, I'll go there and I'll, I'll general manage that club. And they were paying me a lot of money, especially when I was 28 years old. You know, that's when I left Lubbock and I had done, done my time there. So it's time to go to Dallas and, and, and do things. And, uh, and so... I said, look, I'll do it for two years, and then I'm, no matter what, I'm, I'm going to be an actor. And, uh, you know, I'll kind of put it on the side for a couple of years. And so I did that. And then after two years, I said, okay, that's it. And I went from making a lot of money. They gave me a company car. I mean, they gave me a lot of perks. It was, it was really worth it financially. But uh, it wasn't what, of course, I would have, what I wanted to do. So, so I, uh, I just became an unemployed making no money actor. And, uh, I did a play down in, uh, deep Ellum with a guy who is now extremely famous by the name of Tracy Letts. Who's, I can't even go into his resume, but anyway, um, I did Mac Murphy and one flew over the cuckoo's Mm -hmm. nest and we had a ball and it was really off the hook. And, uh, and an agent saw me, one of the Dallas agents, there was only a few. And he saw me and said, do you want to do film and TV? Do you want, and I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I would like to represent you. And I said, oh, and I knew at that time who the casting directors in this part of the country were. There were only about four or five of them that were significant. And uh, I said, well, if you'll get me in to see so-and-so and so-and-so and so get me in to see these ladies, I'll sign with you. And I'll be, dang, if within two weeks he got me in to see all these casting directors. And uh, within two weeks I got Silverado, which was my first feature film. And that was huge. Uh, no, actually, I got Dallas first. Dallas was the TV show, of course, it was on. And I got paid on Dallas, and that was even better. It was a lot better than that 200 a week. In those <laughs> days, it was great. I went in, and you know, I got there like 7 in the morning, and we shot this scene. I only had two little lines, but it was my first union lines, you know, real actor stuff. And so I went in, and I said my two little lines, and, and in those days, the scale was $440. And so... I got my four hundred and forty dollars for about four hours worth of more, and I said, "Yeah, this is great. This is, I, yeah, I, really I really like this." Yeah, yeah. And then within within about two or three weeks, I got Silverado. So my first, you know, the most watched television show in the world was Dallas at the time. I, I forgot the amount of viewers they were getting, but it was some ridiculous amount of millions all over the world that watched it every Friday night or whatever. And then getting Silverado, which was a big Hollywood western, Costner, and all those people were in it. So, 
my first two shows were huge and um that i didn't have huge roles but they were huge shows so that really helped that kind of shot me into uh really into the market all right i don't want to fast forward and 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 i know your career is so much more than friday night lights but i i gotta ask you about both the movie the tv show the the friday night lights experience so you were one of uh, okay so i know yourself and connie Britton were in both was there someone else who was in both the movie and the tv show you know um um yes uh, jason street's mom Catherine oh. willis nobody ever says that but Catherine was actually uh, one of the booster wives in the movie as well. Okay, and then she was Jason Street's mother in the series. Okay, so that was that was the three of us. Were so the was, only... that was going to be your yeah. uh, your daughter's mother in law then. The way that, yes, yeah, okay. yes. So yeah. All right. So the movie came first, uh, and and I've, I've read about this story. I think it's a it's a great story uh, involving Peter Berg. But I'd I'd love if you wouldn't mind sharing how you got the role of uh, John Aubrey, right? Is that the was that the? Yeah, that's right. That was his name. Okay. Yeah. I guess I think about yeah. it. Buddy Garrity was I, I know that name by heart, but I had yeah. to look up what your name in the. I movie would have was. had to look that up yeah, too. I, I forgot think. John Aubrey, and I always thought Buddy was after a real Buddy Garrity that that is in Odessa. He's still there. What a great guy, and he is. I, I really thought that Pete Peterberg. Um, I thought that he probably got the character from the real buddy in Odessa who was the principal of Permian High School and what a staunch supporter. I mean, he, he was the real buddy. and uh, But it wasn't. That name came from someplace else. I thought it came from there. But uh, experiencing him was, was, uh, unique. Was, was unique. And, you know, we had always known about Permian because Plano had a long suit, you know, so, uh, you know, history with those guys. And by the way, I'll just throw this in there. Plano has played Permian four times and we're four and oh. When was yes. the last time? Yes. No, I don't think we'll ever play again. We're so far from each other in, yeah. in districts and whatnot. But I, I don't remember the last time. I think it was in the nineties. I think I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway, um, so, okay. So I'm rambling. I'm, I'm off track. Um, so getting the role. Oh yeah, yeah, getting the role. Um so I was in Austin for another picture or another audition and I was in a hotel and I saw Pete walk through and I'd heard about the movie and I'd read the book when it first came out. To me it was the greatest sports book ever and it came out so so many years before we actually made it. But I thought it was incredible, and I loved the book, and I knew Pete was doing that movie. And I walked by him in the lobby of a hotel in Austin, and he just kind of looked at me too long. I was like, why is that guy looking at me? But I knew who he was, and I knew my agent was trying to get me in to see him. And uh, and I walked past him, and I just kind of nodded and smiled at him, and he kind of did way too much of a man-to-man look at a guy walking through a lobby. Like, what the heck was that? And then the very next day, I had an audition with him, walked in, and he didn't want to do the lines. He wanted to improv. And he just immediately wanted to improv. And for me, that was really fun. And it worked. And that's how. Because, and I knew when I walked out of there, really, that I had that role because it was, and I wouldn't say that it was something that I knew because I knew a buddy because there weren't buddies in those days. I mean, I know there are now, and there have been for a long time, but in those days, if there were any buddies in high school, which was my only experience with it, we didn't know it because the dads 
respected the coaches so much. Whatever Coach Clark says, that's the deal. Yeah. They didn't have guys coming in there trying to tell Coach Clark. Marching in his Kimbrough office. Yeah, yeah, and marching yeah, in his yeah, office. Oh, here's yeah. what we're going to do. Yeah. No, that Come didn't. Plays, if that like existed, we did not know yeah. it. Because everyone totally respected John Clark and Tommy Kimbrough to the point of being afraid of them. I mean, we didn't even want to talk to them because they were so, you know. So, so that's how the movie role came about. And then um, after doing the movie, and it was three months on the movie, we spent a month in Odessa. I love saying this. My sister lived there, so I could say it. But slow death. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, so we spent a month in slow death, and those people we thought they would hate us because they were not so happy about. Yeah, the they book. didn't love the yeah. But we got there, and they were different than that. They really supported us, and it was a tremendous time. And then a month in Austin, and about a month in Houston, um, where we played the state game at the old Astrodome. Yeah. That's where we played it in the movie. And uh, so um, after that. The um, the TV show came along and it just I don't think I don't know what I mean it was just automatic really I, I didn't even I don't I didn't audition they just it's called just my agent they just called my agent and said well we think Brad will be right for this role was it a no brainer for you to take that to to go oh yeah okay oh yeah and uh, yeah because I you know it's funny I knew who Kyle was. You're talking about Kyle Chandler. Yeah, Kyle yeah. Chandler. I, did, I didn't know Connie. I didn't know a lot of the other people. And I certainly didn't know all the young actors. Well, you, um, okay, you, you didn't know young. Connie before the movie. Before the movie. Okay. Right, right. right. But, um, yeah, it, so um, it just came along. And it. I don't think it was – it was about a year later, I think, after after the picture that maybe, maybe it was longer than that. might have been within two years that we did the series. Yeah. I remember – so – Growing up in Texas, I loving sports. I read I, I the book came out, or it it was put in front of me at a time when I didn't love reading, and I, I I really love reading now. But I got through that book really quickly, watched the movie, and then I remember the first episode. I remember exactly where I was. I uh, I wasn't sure how the TV show was gonna was gonna play out, and I remember thinking that the like the Dylan Panthers and I was like what and I watched the I watched the pilot and I don't even think I allowed myself to get through the pilot and I was like ah, I don't I don't know I I love the book I love the movie I don't want I don't want anything in my mind and you know I I really did love the the book and movie I wrote a a, a paper that didn't need to be more than 10 pages my freshman year at USC I turned in a paper that was I think it was 30 something pages uh, and then over 150 pages, if you include transcripts and uh, surveys and stuff like that, I had the, all the prompt was something on social issues and it, there had to be a book tied to it. And so I wrote about, so I loved it. And it wasn't until a few years later, I ended up watching the finale of Friday Night Lights. I think the last season I was caught up. So I was watching live, but it wasn't for a few years that I got into it. And then once I started, I couldn't stop. I, I, and I don't really fully remember why I ne I didn't give it a chance right away, but I, I, man, I think that that TV show, I mean, that movie is one of my all time favorite movies, the book, one of my all time favorite books. And I think that TV show was so powerful because it tackled so many issues. Yes. yes. It, like it wasn't just, no, like I, I told my wife, you know, years ago, I was like, have you seen this? And she said, no. And she was hesitant. She thought it was just going to be some football show. I was like, no, it, it really like, 
if, if you're in it only for the football, then maybe it's not the show for you because right. it's about so much more. So I guess long-winded way of asking you, I, I know the movie does this, but it's obviously only, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. What's it like being a part of a show that tackles these issues when you know that you're, you're maybe making an impact in, in the, the messages that you're delivering and, and the experiences that you're sharing? Um, yeah. And that's a great, that's a great question, Jared. And I, I gotta tell you, there were many times when having lived it, having been around it my entire life and being such a sports fan that we would get these scripts and I would go, <clears throat> no, <laughs> this is you guys, you Hollywood. This is not the way it is. This is too dramatic. This would not happen. Blah, blah, blah. And so many times I would say that to them, to them and say, you know, we just can't do this because it's not telling the truth. I mean, it's too whatever. And they'd say, Brad, this is a TV show. It's not real life. <laughs> so I got over that quickly. But, you know, in the beginning, I, I, I would get with Kyle. And on Wednesdays before the show would air in the beginning on Friday nights, we would, we would watch the show because I wanted to watch the show before the general public did so I could see what they edited, what it came yeah. out to be and all that. And Kyle's like, eh, you know, he's fairly nonplussed about it. Yeah, we'll watch it. So we'd watch it and have a couple of beers. And, and that didn't last very long before I realized what he said. He said, Brad, I really don't care that much about watching it. It's so much fun to do this. And, you know, that grew on me, and it, it, it became the truth where I didn't really even care uh, if I saw the show or the final edited product because living it and, and doing it was so much fun. And it was so much, although they gave us great scripts and those scripts went through the process, had to go through NBC, through network execs, blah, blah, blah. All the writers for months spent on these scripts. They still gave the actors complete freedom. So if we felt like the line should be said like this to get the point across, then we would. And many times we just freeform. And there, you know, one of the great things about that show that, that people still try to copy is that we had, you know, usually three cameras and it was such a guerrilla type shooting that it wasn't the regular style of TV hitting marks, rehearsals, you know, camera, this camera, then these close-ups, then this master shot, all of that. It was just three steady cams shooting us and we would just walk in a room, not rehearsing, just do the scene and then just do it again. Maybe do it with different words. And those guys would just find a spot to be in the room where they could shoot us and they would, you know, you couldn't see the other camera. And then we'd send these takes, you know, we'd do five, six, however many takes. But by the time we've done that with all those camera angles, you got 15 or 20 different versions, send that to NBC editors. Who, that was a nightmare for those guys to try to edit that show. But, um, it became something that we all knew and, and you know, and in the beginning, I was staunch about, hey, you know, this is a nighttime soap. This is this is not how it really is. Although I always wanted to make it like yeah. it really is. The people, I, I kept telling people, this is not a show about high school football. This is a nighttime soap opera about, you know, community and family and relationships and coaches and teachers and 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 learning things in life. And it's it's 
there's very little football in it. And what football in it's pretty much the same. You know, we win. <laughs> yeah. And then people would say, it's not that way, you know, with these long touchdown yeah, passes. Like 50, yep. Yeah, they're Matt saying, they're, I'm it, sorry, yeah. baby, but go to the Texas High School State Football Championship games. It is like yeah. that. They win on bombs. I mean, heck, Duncanville lost two years ago on a Hail Mary at the end, I think. Yes. I forget who they played, but yes. I, I remember watching that. Yeah. It happens all the time. So, but the cool thing was that, that, um, that NBC, you know, and that's why we didn't have the, the ratings in the beginning because the women thought, well, I don't want to watch Texas yeah. high school football. So the, they didn't realize it was a show about relationships and, yeah. about, you know, and they didn't, so that's it took right. years for it to catch on. It was one of those shows <clears> that, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there, there are movies that when they hit the theaters, not a lot of attention, and, and it's not until maybe they're released on TV. Like, I, I don't know why. Pitch Perfect is one I think about. Like, it it became this this big deal, but not in the theaters. And I, I guess I, I forgot this because I didn't, maybe I was a part of the problem. I was one of the people who didn't watch it right away. But the TV show was was like that. Maybe didn't get the, the attention right away, but then, you know, by second or third season people are, are clamoring for more and more and more uh and th- i guess that's interesting i didn't think of, of as to why that might be but it really was like it it was it was captivating a lot of ways and there were those those shocking moments like when uh landry when jesse plemons takes a was it a crowbar or whatever and yeah and, and you know that like i, I don't want to spoil it if, if you haven't seen the show i'd, I'd encourage it but uh kills someone right and right you know it's just like that and then there's relationship stuff and uh and you were your character was a part of that in in a lot of ways i i read that you you would go to the you know whether it's the writers or uh whomever and and campaign i guess for certain storylines for for buddy garrity and yeah. and that's that i thought that was so interesting because it's it's not unlike when you're playing a sport and you're going to the coach coach i can do this or put me in here so what's that process like as an actor where they've got their ideas just like a coach has his or her ideas but you know you've been a, you're not this isn't your first uh, first rodeo so you've got right. ideas so what's that balance like where you want to you want to fall in line but you also if you have an idea maybe maybe it's worth something and and you want to pitch something for your character Yeah and I you know and there was a lot of that I mean I I didn't have enough power really to, to, to pitch and make it stick, but they would listen occasionally. And especially if I would talk Kyle into it or something, but, <laughs> but, um, lots of times I would just, you know, talk to the director and then he might talk to the writers or the producers or whatever and say, you know, this just, it's, it's, it should be like this. It's not like that. And I got many of those times when Brad, it's a TV show, it's, <laughs> but, but at the same time, people eventually learned that, it is what, you know, and what kills me is that now it's more watched than it was. I mean, I can't even believe how many people now are just now watching it. I mean, we stopped shooting 10 years ago Crazy. and we have, and I've noticed this through that cameo app. I'm on that cameo uh-huh. app and I've noticed that I get people from Germany, England, Australia. It's showing all over the world and many people are just now seeing it for the first time. Many people are seeing it. I get these things from people that they've been watching the whole series three or four times. I mean, that's 75 hours yeah. of television and they've watched it over and over again. I'm, I mean, I will admit I've watched the entire thing, but it did become such a labor of love that didn't care. Just, 
<clears throat> enjoyed doing it and, and telling those stories. I don't think that's the answer to your question. No, no. So, but listen, hey, you could you yeah. could tell me. Yeah. Okay. Did you was there a? I I read that you wanted, but so Buddy's character uh, ended up getting divorced uh, yeah. and had an affair, right? And, yeah. And you, I, I read that you had asked to to have a second chance to have another relationship, and they didn't they didn't want any of that. Was there something that you did kind of pitch that they they did? Uh, adhere to that they, they allowed you know your your ideas to kind of actually come to life no i said hey uh, buddy has not had a date with a woman <laughs> in three years i mean after season two or whatever and buddy screwed up and lost his wife and you know lost the girlfriend too he he never got another chance and i would always do i ever get to ha be married again or have a girlfriend come on buddy's not single and they're like no, you have to pay. You have to repent and pay for the rest. And so I never, ever you know, had another woman after that, after that huge mistake. But I know what I was going to say a minute ago about that Jesse Plemons moment. Yeah. And people talk about that being jumping the shark and it nearly ruined our show because it was so out of the ordinary. Well, was that when it, it, sorry, when it, because I wasn't live, I, I was still watching when I saw that episode. So was that controversial? Like when it happened? Like oh people, yeah. Oh, okay. people hated it. Because it just was so out of our show. Yeah. But the reason they hated it, in my opinion, and I'm sure that some of the producers and the writers would argue with me about this, but when that was written, it was it was Landry and Tyra, and they were, you know, sort of boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever was happening to them at the moment. Well, the way it was written, this guy comes up and starts mugging and is going to hurt somebody, and Jesse is protecting her. The way it was written was that it was just a quick reaction where they were they were in fear of their lives. He was in fear of her life, and he just quickly reacted and hit the guy, and the guy died. Well, they shot it and edited it where it looked like he consciously tried to kill the guy, which completely was changes the, changes the whole thing. And the, people would have never been upset or thought that the show jumped the shark, and they talk about season two nearly being ruined because of that, if it hadn't been edited that way. Where they edited it like it like he premeditatedly ran across the lot and killed this guy when he didn't have to, but the way it was written was he was just trying to protect Tyra. Anyway, I had to so backtrack that, on that. Well, how does that? So I, I'm I am totally unfamiliar with the the process here. So how does that pass through all the gates and get released in that way? If that wasn't the intention, is that just? I mean, that was, they shot it a bunch of different ways and they edited it that way. So it was like the director or the writers, they don't get final approval. I mean, you, you turn it over to the editors and kind of whatever they do with it is what the directors, comes out. the editors and the network, you know, I think kind of, they all make that decision together Got it. Okay. and for the director to even let that scene play that way at the time was a risk. Because that, like I say, that's not the way it, it read on the page. And so they took it because of the movement and just the way that it just wasn't an accident that he killed the guy. It seemed like more premeditated. I, I think that was a, a weird choice. But luckily, we, we, did, we didn't get cut off because a lot of people were like, okay, that ruined it. You know, they'll never have another season. Well, and we were always that. in fear for another season. We never knew. Was, it if, ended up five? How many seasons? Five. Five seasons. Five right? seasons. Yeah. And... That second season was cut short because of the writer's strike. And so there weren't as many episodes in season two as there had been. You know, we were in those days, television was 22, 23, 24 mm -hmm. episodes. And now, you know, an entire season of television, maybe eight episodes, yeah. 10. So 
uh, that season two was cut short, and then we went back to doing 20-something each of the last seasons. So I don't know why this is always something that I spend time Googling, but and maybe it's because I grew up playing sports and, and chemistry and, and the, you know your teammates and the camaraderie was something that I loved. I always try and figure out, like, does the cast get along? And I'm like, I'm heartbroken when I find out that this character, this actor, and this act, they don't, you know, they don't talk to each other. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. Yes, but yes. It seems like, and I'm sure that, you know, everyone had their favorites, and, and I'm sure not every single person got along, but it does seem like the cast, especially the core that was around for all five, if not most of the uh, the five seasons, did get along. I'm, I'm curious, who who do you keep up with still? All of them. As many, I mean, I definitely keep up with Kyle a lot. Kyle was, Chandler, was, yeah, okay. yeah. And then was he your closest? I mean, you've, you've yeah, talked about him yeah, a lot. We was he your buddies. closest? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we were buddies. We we hung out. We played golf. We did everything. And, and is he he's in Austin or does he, he live is, in California? He, he left California. Okay, I believe it was this right after the first season. He moved his family to Dripping Springs, okay. and, and, and and the show was shot in Austin, correct? Yes, okay. in and around Austin. Yeah, I mean, we shot some things here, as you know. Yeah. Um, the Texas Stadium, the old Texas Stadium. Mm-hmm. We shot um, at Cotton Bowl. We shot at the Astrodome, and we shot um, we shot a couple of scenes in New York. Got a, shot a couple of scenes in uh, the Gulf Coast. Okay, but nearly everything was in and around Austin. Lots of little towns, lots of different stadiums and stuff like that. But you know, around to that question that you had about the camaraderie, we actually knew after a while. Not only were we good buddies. It was such a family show, and this isn't just cast. This is the crew, crew too. Yeah, it was the most fun on a show that any of us had ever had, and especially the young ones who had never really, you know, a lot of the new stars had really never worked. It was their first big thing, and they, we were just very lucky to catch lightning in a bottle. You know, as cliche as that sounds, we knew it while we were doing the thing. And Jared, to tell you the truth. We even said to each other, aren't we grateful to have this job? Every day, it was like, this is so much fun. This is what acting's all about. This is, we're doing something that is, um, for TV, we just felt like it was important. We felt like it was true. We loved the fact that it was about relationships and that it, that it truly was a universal show. And, and, you know, the fact that there was a Texas high school football backdrop did not bother us. And what bothered me was the real hardcore sports guys. Eh, you know, it was stupid to them because they're, first of all, they don't really watch soaps. They don't watch nighttime stuff. And then when we did the sports, they were like, yeah, you know, sorry, but you're not going to win on a Hail Mary every time. And we didn't. I mean, we didn't win. No, but I I get, yeah. But the real hardcore sports guys, I was always kind of mad at them because they didn't glom onto it in the beginning. And now they've changed their minds. Yeah. Many of them still have never watched the show, but okay, but it so is, it's fun. Kyle Chandler, uh, oh yeah, and Jesse, I keep you know Jesse's, Jesse's a huge movie star here. now. Yeah, Jesse's from Mark, Texas, okay. and actually won a couple uh, a state championship at Mark. So was and he? Was he? Like he was a, a player. Fo- okay, yeah. Right. I mean, he was slow. Yeah, you know, he's very slow, but but and now Jesse, he's dead and he's married yeah, to he's Kirsten married, Dunst. He's and he's yeah, like this, they got a little yeah. baby boy named Ennis. That's and I'm crazy. sure that came from Ennis, Texas. Yeah. I mean, but anyway, he he grew up outside of Waco, a little town called Mark. So he was a real player. And then Riggins, you know, Taylor Kitsch, and was, he's become a he yeah. was a, he was a hockey player. So he was an athlete, 
not a football player at all, but, but, but an athlete. But, yeah. but he was an athlete and definitely became pretty much a football player. Uh, Smash was not an athlete at all, which was Gaius Charles. Gaius. Okay, Gaius. yeah. Um, let's see. Um, but a, a few of the other characters in the show I had worked with many, many times over the past twenty or thirty years because we were sort of the character actors around this part of yeah. the country. So a lot of those guys. But anyway, your question was um, just the yeah the relationships yeah, like, who, the so relationships who, do you keep up with and Kyle, I keep who? up I keep up with them, a lot of them uh, mostly mostly Kyle and Jesse and then you know a lot of the guys that um, you know Michael B Jordan's become such a gigantic yeah. movie oh, star he's untouchable I mean I don't know who talks to him but I still talk to Connie and I you know I talked to her on her birthday and I talked to little. Lila, uh, you know, okay, I ta- yeah, so, I talked to I the, mean, the daughter. She was I call your, her fake daughter, and this yeah. is fake dad. And happy birthday! We still keep up, and uh, she's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Yeah, I yeah, thought you yeah. know when I when I first started watching the show, I just kind of pictured you were going to be my father in law because I was going to marry Minka Kelly and there you go, live happy ever after. <laughs> but do you get when you guys are hanging out? So you you guys are going to dinner after shooting or whatever. I mean, obviously you're not minka kelly's dad but you right. play that like do you is it tough to i don't know like th- do those roles do they just totally go out the window the minute you guys are off set or do you feel like you carry some of that around when you're around those people? you know i carried it around i don't know that everybody did that i think some people did and kyle sort of did just because he's such a great leader and a great guy he just is a really good person. So he he has some of those head coach qualities just in general? Absolutely. That's really And neat. even though that he wasn't in really that kind of a football fanatic, in fact, I don't think I ever saw Kyle stand out there and pass the football. Really? I know. I mean, he just always stayed away from, you know, um, that. But Kyle, is a, he's he's kind of a natural athlete in many ways. He He picked up golf. We played a lot of golf together and still do. We play in some charity tournaments and we – and we play together in Austin. Um, but I was trying to think of others others that... Uh, Let me ask you this. I, the relationships just in general are, like, fascinating to me. Uh, was there someone who, was you know, wasn't just making a cameo who maybe you didn't hit it off with and, and you knew that, hey, we're both going to be around for however long. Let's, let's work to make this relationship better. No. Okay, no. so everyone... I mean, it was just... I, I never felt that. Now... What what I did feel was sometimes these actors would come in and they got a good role. There's going to be a couple of episodes. There's a big part or whatever, and they would have those lines so down, you know, because we do. That's what we yeah. we show up. We need the lines, but we would say to them in the makeup trailer, "Hey, just throw those lines away. I know you know them, but when we go in there, we're just rolling. We're, we're going to roll. Yeah. There's no telling what we may say, so don't you know? Don't just just listen." And play with us. And they're like, what? Are you kidding? There's no marks. We don't have to hit our marks. We change the blocking. We may stand up. We may sit down. We may run. Just just go with us. Just remember, that's what this show is. And a lot of those people were very intimidated by that. Because if you're not used to it, it's it's kind of weird. Some people Especially like direction, right? They like yeah. to know, this is what I need to say. This is where I need to be. This yeah. is and, and most actors, the really the you know the best ones that have been around, the professional ones, that they really were trained in the theater and on stage first. I mean, nowadays it's different. Nowadays people are trained for camera. And, uh, you know, so they, one of the, you know, the most important thing is that they know the words inside and out. 
because once you get in front of cameras and you've got a crew and you got to be here and you got to have this cigarette and you got to turn this direction and blah, 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 blah. All of the extraneous stuff is so much, is so big and so much to remember that the lines just have to trip off the tongue. If you're thinking about your lines, it's going to be impossible to listen to and not get nervous to all the stuff that's going on around you and having to shoot a scene over and over again and change it and blah, blah, blah. So, um, it was, it was intimidating for a lot of the people that had just come around, but for the rest of us who were there all the time, it was just roll and it was a blast. Okay. I, I could ask, we might have to do a second episode later on because I could, I could ask you a million more questions about Friday Night Lights, but that, that would not be fair to your career. And I want to make sure to cover other stuff. Okay. So you mentioned you're a character actor. Yeah. Was that something you embraced or was that something that you fought? Um, initially, I, I embraced it. I mean, even in college, even though I might've been much thinner and much more of a leading man, I did, <clears throat> excuse me. I did a lot of leading, leading men roles in plays, but from the time I really started doing film and television, I was always a character. I was never the lead guy. Um, recently I got to do from one of your buddies from USC, young director, uh, a picture that I did over in Fort Worth where I got to be the lead guy. But he was more of a character. He was a high school football coach in that movie called The Last Whistle. Very small, independent picture. But I had a blast playing that guy. And we shot the entire picture in 14 days in Fort Worth. Yeah, 14 wow. days. And it was it was a joy. It really was. But, yeah, I've always – and I, I never had a problem. I loved playing cowboys and bad guys. Yeah. And that's what I did a lot when I was younger. A lot of, a lot of bad guys. A lot of – a lot, <laughs> you know, from in the heat of the night, you know, um, God, it just, yeah. Yeah. A lot of bad guys. Who, uh, Brad, who's someone. So, and, and there's no way you would remember this. We met in the press box prior to the Cowboys Packers playoff game in which Aaron Rodgers pulled off one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. Uh, to Jared Cook. Oh and, yeah, yeah. But you're you're close friends with Brad Sham, yeah, who yeah. is a mentor of mine. As is Eric Nadell, and I would say those two would certainly be at the very top of the list for the question I'm going to ask you. But are there people, or is there someone who professionally was a huge influence? And and when you look back on your career, like that that individual, just whatever it was, they they had a, a real, real impact on your growth and, and your development as an actor? Well, I think it started with my high school drama teacher. She recognized that I loved it and helped me. And then my college mentor, the teacher who, he, he actually started the theater department at Texas Tech. He was a war, uh, World War II veteran, and uh, he had been in a prison camp for five years during World War II. And then came to Lubbock and started the theater program. And he was, he was the god of, of that theater. And he really, really made me feel like I, I should do this and I can do this. And so those two. And then once I started doing film and TV, Pete, Pete really, Peter Berg really gave me a lot of confidence. Um, not that other directors had not given me that. And I had worked with a lot of great directors. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan and, and just Andrei Kochalovsky, who was this great Russian director. I mean, I'd, I'd worked with great directors. And, but um, I think Pete sort of gave me the freedom and made me think, you know, um, 
I, I can do this with anybody. And, you know, I've been blessed to have been able to do scenes with everybody from Paul Newman to, you know, I did scenes, I've done scenes with, you know, Brian Dennehy, Paul Newman, huge, huge, great actors. And it always feels like it's okay. I mean, I make it somehow, you know, recently as I've, as I've aged, I, it is, it is sometimes harder to remember things. You do forget a little bit, but it's just, you'd work harder. Just have to work harder. You know, I think it's funny because you've, you've, you mentioned some, you know, Paul Newman, Brian Dennehy, tremendous actors. You've, you've been in shows with some cult heroes like Chuck Norris and, oh yeah. And Steven Seagal. And I think yeah. like Buddy Garrity kind of <laughs> like Walker, Texas Rangers, uh, but I think Buddy Garrity in, in his own way is like, you know, it got your own little like path and your own little room of, uh, you yeah. know, like heroism, I guess. Like people just like, they connect with, you know, with Kyle Chandler and with Buddy Garrity. I think more than more than any of the other characters. But I'm just curious, who was there someone you, you worked with? You're like, holy smokes. Like, I can't believe I am. I'm working with this individual man, woman, whomever. Well, recently I did that picture, uh, Deepwater Horizon. Oh, yeah. And it was Wahlberg, who is awesome. I mean, you talk about prepared. This guy's the most disciplined. He's regiment, right? Like, He's he the gets most up at disciplined. Four he gets. Like, works out. And, Unbelievable. Like, every, day. every day. I mean, this guy is, you know, you talk about work ethic. I mean, and what a great human being. I mean, he's just really a good family man and a great person to work with. And then Malkovich was on Uh there and Malkovich and I, it was interesting because we played the two bad guys in that picture. Um, not necessarily bad guys. When I say that Pete Bird told me, Brad, the bad guys never, never thinks (laughs) he never thinks he's a bad guy. But anyway, um, Malkovich, you know, had always been somebody that was very interesting to me as an actor, a tremendous actor. Um, and so getting to know him and realize what a regular guy he is because you would you sort of think of him as a very intellectual sort of weird dude but he's such a a midwesterner who loves sports and just can be right on the page with anybody and so getting to work with him and then Kurt Russell was um Kurt Russell just made me feel so good I mean he came up to me and actually said man I mean I, and this sounds weird but he said you know you're really a good actor and coming from Kurt Russell yeah that made me feel Sure. Special. It's different real, than if I say, Brad, real, I've loved your work. Real special. Yeah. Um, coming from him. Is... Yeah. So those guys recently have been really something. No How have you gotten better as an actor? Like what, what, you know, what's. You just, yeah, yeah, I, you, I think, you know, I've learned to relax doing it. I think that's the most important thing because for us to be smooth and polished and, and real, I think, we really have to be relaxed and it's not a veneer. It's got to come from the real guy. And I think that's what they, they gave me that freedom playing buddy. I think I learned, even though I'm not buddy at all, really in real life, I'm, there's some things about him that's, that, you know, it's, it's the truth. My daughter had this, you know, when that scene where buddy is so drunk in the beginning of this, the series, and he's drunk at the big pep rally, and mm-hmm. he's really mad about that other guy coming in. He thinks that other guy's trying to horn in on his territory. And there's all the kids there. And my real daughters, both my real daughters were there that night, you know, having fun with Dad. They were extras over there in the pool or whatever. And I had that big scene with Lila and uh, and Kitch and Riggins where they were pulling me out of the mud, and Buddy was so disgusting and mad and drunk and blah, 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 blah. And 
and there was a lot of costume changes because we, you know, would fall down in the mud and we'd have to change into the new pair. And we did, it was, the scene took a long time, a couple of hours. And my daughter was watching. And uh, it's probably the biggest compliment I've ever had because she came over to me after we'd wrapped that night and I was all cleaned up and, you know, I was back in my street clothes and she came over and she looked up at me and she said, Dad, are you really drunk? Oh. And it you know, it broke my heart, but it also just filled my heart because I was acting in the, <laughs> I was acting good enough that my daughter <laughs> thought I was really yeah. drunk. And, you know, that's coming from the daughter. So anyway, that was, that was kind of a special moment getting to do that and have her say that. Um, have you brought but, them around set a lot? Is it something you like to avoid? Is it? No, I don't mind them coming at all. And they came a couple of times, and they were in crowd scenes and stuff yeah. on Friday Night Lights. And they were they were young girls at the time. So what do they do now? Um, my oldest daughter is a nurse in Lubbock, and oh, wow. uh, my youngest daughter is in Austin, and she's a dancer and also a Pilates instructor. Oh wow! So yeah, they're uh, yeah they're they're my pride and joy. And it was all you know. I always had fun with Lila because I had real daughters. So, and, and I think I was probably a little bit more trying to be her real dad than than, than she was trying to be my real daughter, but she hadn't lived with her dad that much. And so we kind of had a a fun little special relationship. How do you balance? I mean, gosh, I, it seems like your career, you know, you're all over the time commitment is, you know, you're not nine to five Monday through Friday. Was it tough balancing career and family? Is it, was there something you learned early on on how to do it? Cause like I, I'm sitting here just candidly like with baseball and, and, you know, in the off seasons I do basketball and, and some football, but that's not every single day. Right. And you know, I don't have kids yet. I'd love kids one day, but like there's stretches where I barely see my wife and she's super understanding, which makes it so much easier on me. But I can't imagine it's too much different for you. So I guess I'm I'm curious, like what, how how have you gone about balancing that? Because it seems like you do you care about your daughters. You're not you know you're a part of their lives. I know sometimes you're just they're your daughters by blood, but you know or, or kids by blood, but you're just never there. But that doesn't seem like that's you. It seems like family's been super important to you. It has, and I've been lucky to be one of those dads who could be with my children a lot of their life. My wife's an actor as well. She's not doing mm-hmm. it anymore, but, but she knew, and and she really gave up a lot of her career. I have to give it to her because she she gave up a lot of her career for mine. Mine was a little bit ahead of hers as far as making money doing film and television. She was a great stage actor and worked at the Dallas Theater Center as well. But she had also done a lot of film and TV, and then she uh, took other jobs to help to support the family in our drier times, and so. I was really the one that got to go and got to do what I loved and didn't, didn't, I mean, early, early years, there was a lot of other jobs that I did to support. You know, I used to do uh, a lot of things downtown in the arts district. We, we basically ran the arts district back in the eighties and nineties where we did every festival down there, concerts, everything on in artist uh, square and all of that down there was, it was my side gig, which was awesome. So I could, I could make some extra money doing uh, doing all that crew work and still sort of being involved in the business. And uh, so that that was supplemental. But having a wife that was understanding. And yet, you know, um, there were, you know, there would be times when I'd be gone for a month or, you know, whatever. But really, 
in those five years uh, during the show, during Friday Night Lights, that, that was later on in my career, but I would come home. So I had an apartment in Austin. I'd stay there five days a week in the best of both worlds, come home and see the family on weekends and go back to work uh, during the week. Did you drive or fly? Always drove. Always drove. Yeah. Always. It's not a yeah, bad drive it's at all. It's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I, I figured it out one time. I made 90 round trips oh. to Austin. And one time, only one time on 35 did I get in a backup because I was so aware of it. And I went at exactly the right times. I went between 10 and 2 on weekdays. And almost never on weekends until after 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, it's I a science. You can't. It's yeah. a science to 35. And I've really never got in a traffic jam out there. Except Speeding one tickets? Time. Uh, I got one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got one. It wasn't too bad. I think were you Buddy Garrity when the, the cop pulled up? or were you He Bradley didn't know him. <laughs> he didn't know Buddy Garrity. I was hoping he did. You know, sometimes they do. Um, so, okay, I got one out of left field question. And then I want to ask you about your, your theater experience. This is so random, and I only thought of this because on my way here, I had a place in order for something, and you know my, the caller ID must have showed up. So instead of asking me my name, they they saw it and they're just confirming it was me. And my name is spelled J A R E D. It's pretty, you know, Jared is not Steve or you know Bill. It's but you know it's not the most uncommon name. It's not. And the lady said, asked if. So like trying to sound out my name and jar jar jarred jarred <laughs> and you know it not listen that's totally fine i'm curious has anyone ever like try to call you like mispronounce your last name with i mean you can't really mispronounce brad i don't know what you could do but like have they ever mispronounced your last name or try to like make it something that it's not like with the with the leland yeah was it like Which is actually, or, you, there yeah but not much okay and you know that's really my middle name it's not really my name. Which, okay, I mean, what's my, my name is actually Bradley Leland. My last name's Williams. Oh, okay. so that was my middle name after uh, named after my uh, my uncle and my my grandmother's side of the family. My uncle was a, a famous football star from TCU. He was actually um, all American in football and track in the nineteen thirty one uh, TCU was seventh in the nation and he he led the nation in in uh, yards per carry. He was carrying uh, seven point one yards per carry. And in 1931, ran a 9.6. Wow. 100? Yeah, 100. And his, that was 100 yards. Yeah, yeah. But his name was Leland. His name was Cy Leland. And uh, he's in the history books over there at TCU. And and so that's where the Leland came from, from my grandmother's maiden name. So you changed your name. Is it just because Williams is a common name and you wanted to, like, what It what was weird. I joined SAG. And, you know, when I first joined SAG, uh, I, I signed up as Brad Williams. And because I did Brad Williams... Uh, uh, for uh, uh, for Dallas, Dallas and yeah. for Silverado, Silverado yeah. so both those were that name, and then the the union said um, w- this name was in our roles, and some agent had it. We don't find an actor that has that name right now, uh, but and as soon as they said, but in the future your residuals might get confused because of this name. I went okay, I'm no so problem. It, I'll change it immediately. Is that, is that why people like? I always just assume. I mean, I'm sure there are a variety of reasons, but that's one reason why people might change their name is just to avoid any future confusion. Yes. Okay. And, right. and years later, it's really funny. There's this really famous little comedian now. I said little because he's a little person. Uh-huh. And his name's Brad Williams, and he's a huge, huge comedian. He, he was born, you know, sometime in the 80s or whatever, but now he's a very famous Brad Williams. And, well, and it's and like they kind of they kind of they kind of mess our IMDb pages up you know they give me some of his credits That's and him funny. some of mine it's real funny so i 
<clears throat> quick story on that. I I grew up, uh, you know, and I'm Jewish, and every little Jewish kid around my age loved Adam Sandler because of the Hanukkah song. Yeah. Because, you know, there it's like, here's this roster of famous Jewish people when you're six years old, so you know that, hey, like, there are other people out there, and I used to, I lied to kids at Hebrew school and told them, or Sunday school, whatever, uh, I you know, I, I didn't. I never wanted to go because it always got in the way of football on Sundays. I missed the kickoff for the Cowboys games whenever they had a 12 o'clock start. Oh, wow. It pissed me off. Oh, wow. But I made $12 over a four-week stretch once because I charged $2 per autograph request for my my fake uncle, Adam Sandler. Oh, that's great. And I would just, in cursive, you know, to Brad, Adam Sandler. (laughs) Well, my dad found out I eventually had to return the money. But (laughs) it it turns out Adam Sandler has uh, a nephew and I, I once posed as his nephew named Jared Sandler. Oh, my. Who not only same name, went to USC. We were in the same fraternity. Wow. Four years apart. But we always joke with one another. He's a stand-up comedian. He does so, he's, he's an actor, but he also does a lot of stand-up. And I'll get, you know, on Twitter... Like I'll get a, I'll get tagged in a tweet that I'm performing at the, you know, the some some club in in wherever in the country, and he gets like sports tweets or whatever, and so we get we get mixed up. So we we joke that you know one of us we're gonna play rock paper scissors one day, and one of us is gonna have to change their name. Yeah. The problem is I don't have a middle name, and he does. So I you know I've pitched to him. He's got to change to Jared Mitchell. But right. I think there's some value in having the last name Sandler in Hollywood. So yeah, there yeah. is. Although. I was not a huge fan of that most recent picture, the one that everyone said he's being dramatic. He's he's not. Oh, uh, uncut gems. Yeah, yeah. Not so my, my favorite picture. My wife walked out of that because she was so on edge she couldn't handle it. Yeah, like it was. Yeah, yeah. it's a different. It's a different movie. A different guy. All right. So theater. Yeah. yeah. I, I. Yeah. Okay. So Dallas Theater Center. You your most recent role there and your return to the stage was playing Scrooge. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious with that role and in general, I, I think understandably people, when they think of you and your career, they think of the, the, the screen, but you've mentioned a few times that, you know, it started with the theater, it started with the stage. And that's when you were coming up, that, that was like, you had a gra- you had a, you had a, uh, master that before you, you did anything else. That was the training ground. So I'm just yes. curious how, how special is that time to you? And then just getting to go back and, and play Scrooge. It was, was absolutely like? the most fun and the most gratifying experience I've ever had, including FNL. I mean, FNL, of course, made me a lot of money, still does. And, you know, you, you suddenly become recognizable. And that was never, I, you know, being famous was never it. I just loved doing it. And, of course, when you're younger, I told you earlier, being the center of attention and being a total idiot and doing things, you know, that was part of it. But it became, uh, when I did, when they let me do Scrooge <clears throat> and I got to do that with a bunch of really good professionals, not just the other cast, but the musicians, the crew, the entire thing. And to get to play every night, Jared, in front of, we were sold out for all 50 performances. It wasn't always full, but... but 50 in 30 days. In 50 performances in 30 days. That's two a day, and we were dark on Mondays. But to get to do that rigorous on stage, that's your life thing. I had an apartment right next door where I would just walk to the theater and go back to the apartment, sleep and eat. But to get into that that structure, like a like a regular job, where 
You do it every single day, and it consumes you. You don't do anything else. And then to play for 500 people 50 times, that's 20,000, 25,000 people, not that many, but something like that. Sure. And to um, to actually, I mean, and plus the story and the role. I mean, just the story itself, one of the greatest stories ever written. And it's Christmas time, so automatically the people love the show. They automatically love the story. They've seen it before. And to go in there and and have that symbiotic relationship with the audience, which for an actor is the best, the most fun, to to be live and to have all those things that happen that are, you know, brand new. Every day in the performance there's something that's new. And that fear that turns into, you know, a really wonderful experience. But to have them, and because it's such a built-in standing ovation every day, so to get to do that twice a day, for a month and then the rehearsals as well. But to me, it was definitely the most fun I've ever had in my life. And that story, you know, is such a great, great story. And everything about it was just, it's a great character. And I, I loved it. Um, it was the best Christmas I've ever had. It was the best Christmas present I've ever received. And it was also the best Christmas present I ever gave. That's the way I look at it. It's very cool. It, it just was, um, yeah, it was, uh, I would do it again. And even though it's a tremendous amount of work, I, I would love to do it again. I'm still not too old. So, okay. I, I got two more quick questions based yeah. on what you just said. Yeah. The first is, and I'll, I'll lay them both out there to maybe give you a second to think about it. What else would you like to do or accomplish I mean, you, you could never do anything again in, in your career. I mean, it's it's incredible the amount of work you've been a part of. But is there something that's out there that you'd like to pursue? And is there a specific role that is out there that you'd like to play? I mean, just hearing you talk about Scrooge, uh, is there a character you've yet to play if they remade this or if they did this? Or is there a character, and, and just generally speaking, what – is there anything out there you'd still like to, to accomplish? There's a, there's a picture that if we ever go back to work, um, which there are uh, inklings of it, it's really, we're not back by any means, but there's a picture that I will be doing if we ever go back to work. We're going to shoot it in Iceland. And it's an old man um, that lives up in the mountains. And the story is about a young girl who continually goes back up to him for advice. And he's, a, he's just a sage an old soothsayer, uh, almost like a Merlin character from Camelot, like a like a wizard. Although and that's your role? modern day, yeah. You're the, okay. and that's my role, which is why I'm growing my hair long and my my beard long. You know, he's just this old enchanted man who has this incredible advice for this young woman and sort of guides her through her life. And so, that's something I look forward to doing. It's it's a huge role, and it would be a, a nice stretch, something different than than what I've been doing recently I mean, it's not that i haven't i actually played merlin in camelot so i've played these old guys before but uh play one now would be would be really something um and then you know i i have to say i have a dear friend who is my favorite writer i went to college with him he has written so many movies and i'm in all of them and he and i have been collaborating for a long time yet to get any of his pictures or television shows produced He's the best writer I know. 
by far. He's read more than anyone I know by far. He knows more about history, and he his name is Derek Horton, and he is absolutely undiscovered. There's so many of his pictures that I would like to finally one day produce, not direct. I'm not interested in directing. He should direct. I would love for him to direct me in one of the pictures that he's written. And they're every kind of thing from sweet little pictures like Anne of Green Gables to the most ferocious, nastiest, most, I mean, the, his most recent one is about um, the the KKK in East Texas, which happened back in the 1920s. True story. It's perfect for now. Um, you know, it's it's all about, it, you know, the horrible things that happened and, and this wonderful, wonderful man who, anyway, to to do one of Derek's pictures is, is a goal of mine. And for him to do it, for he and I to do it, and in fact, the lead role in this picture should be Michael B. Jordan. He may be out of our reach right now, but it's perfect for him. So um, those are two things I would like to do. And to get back on stage and play, it wouldn't have to be the lead. It could be almost anything. I'd love to do it. I, you know, I the, the one thing I've yet to do, although I've been on the, um, I've been on the stage at the Schubert Theater in uh, in in New York and in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, but they weren't big plays. They weren't big produ- productions. Uh, and uh, so to do a role in New York is definitely a goal that I've yet to accomplish. I would love to do that. Brad, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this Thank with me. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it.